Well, all right. Well, let's continue um, our series in the book of James. Um, today, we're going to be talking about overcoming temptation. And temptation is something we all face. None of us are immune to it. We may all have different ways we're tempted, but we're all tempted nonetheless in some fashion. And so the question becomes, how do we handle it? How do we resist it? How do we overcome it so that we don't fall into sin? You may recall last week, we kicked off the book of James talking about the topics of trials. And we talked particularly how to be steadfast under trial. Let me read to you again, James 1.12. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. You see, one of the dangers we face when under trial is the threat of temptation uh, that could lead us to sin. In fact, the passage we're looking at today, you'll, the same Greek words we pick up in verse 13. We, we, verse 12 is like a, a hinge verse. It's, it, uh, the, the, it's, it's swinging us from, from trials to temptation. But in the Greek, the word for trial in verses 1 through 12 and then the word for temptation in verses 13 through 18 that we're looking at today, it's the same Word. It's the same word. So to remain steadfast under trial, we must overcome temptations that arise. To remain steadfast under trial, we must overcome temptations that arise. And because temptations will arise um, many times in the midst of trial. So let's look what James says at what James says in chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. James writes, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So James here has transitioned, right? I mentioned same Greek word, but he's clearly talking about something different here. And so you see in the English we translate it temptation because now uh, he's given it an evil connotation. And he's saying, that's not God. God doesn't tempt you to do evil. He has told us, yes, God will test your faith. Yes, God wants you to choose joy in the midst of trials. Uh, yes, God wants you to grow spiritually, and he will use trials to strengthen and improve your faith. But temptation is different. God never tempts us to do evil. It's not God's desire uh, that we betray him. It's not God's desire that we rebel against him. See, James deals with these topics together because they are connected. You tend to experience temptation when in a trial. So people go through a difficult season. Things get hard, whether it's at work or in their marriage or something else in their life, and they may be tempted to overdrink or to escape to an affair or to do something unethical at work. A host of temptations may come in, but God's not the one tempting them. Right? God would hope that the trial that they're going through, uh, God's desire would be that it would strengthen them and grow them. But many times in those seasons, we will encounter temptation. And James here is telling us where that temptation come from, comes from. So he says, let no one say when he is tempted, not if, but when he is tempted, because we all encounter it. It's a reality in a fallen world. As long as we live in a fallen world, we will encounter temptation. But temptation, if you look at the passage and the way it lays out, and it even gives a progression that happens and where sin comes in, and this shows us that temptation is not the sin. Temptation can lead to sin, but temptation is not sin. Martin Luther said it this way, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building 
a nest. And there's a lot of truth to that. We have a responsibility to fight temptation, to resist temptation, to overcome temptation, but we can't keep temptation from happening in this fallen world. So let me give you three principles for overcoming temptation. God wants us to be overcomers. Uh, God wants uh, uh, to, us to, to, to show our faith in Christ, to remain faithful to Christ, and to, and to overcome temptation, to resist temptation and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so from this passage, let me show you three principles for overcoming temptation. Number one, we need to recognize the source of temptation. Recognize the source of temptation. He says, when you're tempted... Do not say, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. He tempts no one. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. So some may look at a trial that they're going through, a difficult season, and they may think this, look at these circumstances God gave me. God's tempting me here. Or, you know, I would never fill in the blank with whatever the, the sinful choice is if God had not allowed such and such to happen in my life and begin to point the finger at God. Or... You know, God just made me this way. This is just the way God wired me. God gave me these desires. The reason I want to do blank is because God made me like this. And all of these are ways to blame God for our sin and to blame God for our temptations. And James is saying, you can't do that. God tempts no one. And he can't be tempted. And that's his reasoning here. He says, you cannot blame God when tempted because he can't even be tempted with evil, so therefore he tempts no one. In other words, God's nature is holy and God's nature is good and there's nothing in God that desires to sin and therefore nothing in God that desires for you to sin or for me to sin. So yes, God will test your faith. Yes, God uses trials in our lives. But no, he never intends for us to be tempted to do evil. He never tempts us in that way. James points, James's point here is that the temptation to evil, not only is it not God's fault, it's on you. It's on me. It's ours. You see what he says? The source of temptation, he says, comes from within. It comes from within us. That doesn't mean Satan is never involved. Obviously, we know that Satan's uh, uh, roaming the earth like a lion looking to devour. We, we see that in 1 Peter. But the point here is our biggest problem here is, is us, not the devil. You know, in our, it's our own sinful flesh. The devil's not always around. He, he, he can only be at one place at one time. He's roaming the earth, but he's not omnipresent. And he's not God. But listen, you are always with you, and I am always with me. I'm always present wherever I'm at. And at the end of the day, the biggest problem that I face in battling temptation is the desires that live with inside me. And that's what James wants us to see. He wants us to take ownership for ourselves here. See, ever since the Garden of Eden, mankind has been known to blame others for their actions. And let's do like we often do, and let's go back and look at that. In Genesis 3, verses 12 and 13, and the temptation here um, uh, in, seen in the fall scene that we have with Adam and Eve, it says this, the man said, this is the man, Adam, talking to God, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, well, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So what's Adam doing in verse 12? He's blaming God. He's blaming God. It's the woman you gave me. He's blaming God for the situation that led to the, to the problem that he's in now. He's saying, you know, if you, you gave me this woman, and now I've sinned, and now all this has happened. He's insinuating that God had something to do with his temptation. And the woman, then what does she do? She blames the devil. 
You know, and people do that a lot of times. The whole devil made me do it sort of thing. Well, no, he didn't. The devil can't make you do anything. Every person since uh, the fall has had trouble owning our temptations and owning our sins. We look to blame other people's. We love to point the finger. James says, look in the mirror. You were tempted from within. Your nature, your own desires led to this. You can't really battle. You can't really resist. You can't really overcome temptation if you don't know where it's coming from. We have to recognize where it's coming from. Imagine you had a, a leak in your roof, okay? And you begin to recognize this, this. Every time heavy rain comes, you begin to recognize this leak coming through your roof. Now you could go and you could clean that up and you could, you could patch it right there on the roof and you could paint it. And then a big rain comes and it starts to, it starts to leak again. And, you, and then you could go, man, it's, it's, it, every time I patch this, this happens. You could kind of go outside and shake your fist at the heavens and say, why is it raining so much, you know? Um, but you would look silly. Because at some point, you have to climb up on the roof, find the leak, deal with it at the source, right? And stop patching up over stuff. Stop, stop shaking your fist about the circumstances you're in and what may have led to them. And start realizing it has a source. And that's what James is telling us here. The source is in our heart. It's in our own desires. We, we need to know how we're wired. You need to know that you're a sinner capable of sin. And we must take responsibility for our desires and our actions. We've got to recognize the source of temptation. Number two, you need to beware the path of temptation. Beware the path of temptation. He says when you're tempted, each person, when he's tempted, when he's lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire, when it is conceived, give birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So you see a process taking place here, a path that is being traveled, a dangerous one. It shows you why temptation must be overcome and why it shouldn't be given into. See, you and I have to be aware that temptation is not to be toyed with, that it ultimately wants to lure us away and lead us down a path that's different than the path it's promising. It's promising life. It's promising fulfillment. It's promising that it's going to make things better, that it's going to alleviate the pain of this trial, that it's going to help us to escape or maybe even deal, you know, deal with the issue. But at the end of the day, the destination is death. And James says, your own desire, these evil desires is the connotation, they lure and entice you is the word he uses. This is, this is fishing language in their day, actually, in the Greek. Uh, Douglas Moo, a, a commentator, scholar, writes that he says, the bait on the fisherman's hook would entice the fish, and once hooked, the fish would be dragged away. And that, that word lure can also be translated dragged away. Um, uh, another scholar, J.A. Motyer, writes this, uh, about the word enticed, he said it, that word enticed expresses the magnetism of desire, the hypnotic attraction. And we can imagine that, right, in, in, in our minds with fishing lures and things of that nature. And the word lured here, he says it means to, to drag off pointing to a dominating directive power within our desires. A dominating directive power within our desires. The, these desires are powerful. And, and we can be led astray. And we all know it's true. In some way, every single one of us, at one time or another, has been enticed and experienced the pull of our sinful desires. Very powerful. And temptation, we need to remember, is war. And it's a war that's going on within you. So you need to beware that you have your own set of desires that can particularly lure and entice you. You know, I don't know a lot about fishing. I've never been a very good fisherman. But I do know this. You use different bait to catch different fish. Uh, some fish like one thing, some fish like another, and it's no different with human beings. We're all wired a little bit different. We're, we, we all have desires that are a little bit different, and there might be something that's tempting for you that's not tempting for me. 
something that's tempting to me that's not tempting to you. We're all different. So we need to understand that. But it, but it is your desires that, that leads down this path. And he says, when these desires conceive, they give birth to sin. So he's using very powerful language here. And, and the situation is like this. In a trial that you're going through, a difficulty, a particular sin may become attractive to you or to me because we think it will solve that it will alleviate or it will provide relief in the trial that we're in. Uh, we're not seeing the end game in that moment, just the relief that could come. And we're being lured and enticed by the desires within us. And if you don't turn away from that, sin will be conceived and sin will grow into death. Sin will grow into death. Listen, temptation is unavoidable, but conceiving sin is a willful choice. It's a choice that kills. And ultimately, sin leads to eternal spiritual death. And those that willfully continue to give in to sin without godly sorrow that leads to repentance ultimately spend eternity suffering spiritual death forever away from the favorable presence of the Lord, suffering His wrath. Uh, that's, where, that's the death that that ultimately leads to. But death is invited into your life, believer, when you sin. It will kill your marriage. It will kill your career. It will kill your reputation. It will kill friendships and finances. Sin is a serial killer. It wants to kill you. And so when we engage with temptation and we allow ourselves to be Lord and we allow sin to be conceived, this is where we're headed. And, that, and this is how it works. We begin to justify. Well, if I did this, it wouldn't, be this, it wouldn't be that bad, my situation. And we begin to think through why it's okay for us to do that. And what is happening is sin is being conceived. And once conceived, it's going to grow up into death. So we need to beware of this path. And what, might, my, my, what may seem as a harmless temptation is actually an invitation to die. That temptation, if you give in to that desire, it's going to produce sin that will grow into not a cute pet, but a murderer, a killer that wants to destroy your life. See, part of fighting temptation is realizing and remembering constantly where this wants to take me, where it wants to take me. Imagine if our theme parks here in Orlando were to open back up and we were, during this time, maybe they had, one of the parks had designed this incredible new ride and everybody wants to go on this ride and man it's it's supposed to be this amazing ride the rumors are that it, it is incredible but there's this other nasty little rumor that goes along with it that once people get on this ride you never see them again well i mean they just disappear forever you wouldn't get on that ride like, like that was a real thing right it's, it's like this nobody gets on the airplane if they know the airplane is going to crash Right? If you knew the airplane was going to crash, you don't get on the airplane. Nobody gets in the car if they know the car is going to crash. Right? If we know the destination's bad, if we know harm's going to come, we never choose to do that. And you wouldn't get on the roller coaster that's destination nowhere, never to be seen again, if you knew that that was the case. Right? We wouldn't do that. We'd, be, we'd think we're crazy. James wants us to see here. This is the trajectory. This is where this goes. Keep this in your mind. That If you're tempted, when you're lured, when you're enticed, if you let sin conceive... That sin is going to grow up into death. And so that's why if you're in sin, right, if you've fallen into temptation and you're in sin, you need to kill the sin because the sin's going to kill you. So the old John Owen, great Puritan writer, said, be killing sin or it'll be killing you. Now here's the third principle. The third principle is very important. This is where the wars really face. We need to trust God in temptation. We need to trust God in temptation. 
He says in verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. See, ultimately, James is going to show us here in verses 16 through 18 that God is not the problem. He's actually the solution. We're tempted in our trials to think God's the problem. He's let us down. He's led us into this situation. He's not providing. He's not caring for us like, like, we, like, like we think. He's not performing to our expectations. But God's not the problem. God's actually the solution, he shows us in these verses. He's our helper, not our harmer. He's our savior, not our tempter. James doesn't want us to be deceived into thinking wrongly about God and his character. He says rather than being a tempter to do evil, he goes on to say God is in fact the provider of every good gift. James here highlights the character and the activity of God. He shows us that while our nature is to be lured and enticed by sin, God's nature is contrary to that. His nature is holy and good. James is reminding us in these verses that God can and God should be trusted. Temptation is ultimately a decision for the believer of whether or not we will trust God. Do I trust God to provide for me? Do I trust God to give me strength? Do I trust that God has the best of intentions for me? Do I trust God that his will is better than my will? Do I trust God? And, and we have to make that decision every time we're tempted. See, God's not going to leave you alone in temptation. He's not going to abandon you. You can trust him in the midst of it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the apostle Paul writes about temptation. And he says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, you're, you're, you're not unique in this situation. We've all been tempted in our various ways. And he says, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In other words, there's always a way out. There's always a choice that will please God. There's always a morally right decision. It, you're never put in a situation where it's, well, sin or sin. That's not the situation, right? You, you can always choose to obey God. So let me give you three truths to help you trust God in temptation. Three truths from James that I believe will help us to trust God when we face temptation because that's where the real battle is being fought. The first thing we need to hold to, the truth that we need to hold to in temptation is this. God is good. God is good. He says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It's from God. See, our God is a good God that gives good gifts. God's not an evil tempter. He's not a cosmic killjoy trying to ruin your life. He's a loving, good God who is generous and who gives good gifts to his children. In a lot of ways, the battle of temptation is a battle of do you believe God is good? Do you believe God's good? If he's good, if he's truly good, then he should always be trusted. He should always be obeyed. But if you doubt his goodness, you and I, will, we will fail to trust him. Listen, even our trials are meant for our good, right? James has showed us that already. Don't be fooled into thinking God's not good because you can't understand what you're going through. That doesn't change God's character. See, Adam and Eve were deceived into doubting God's goodness. Let's go back to Adam and Eve. They were deceived into doubting God's goodness. In Genesis 3, verses 4 through 6, in the temptation scene, it says this, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, eat of the fruit of the tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So what was Satan saying there in that temptation? He's saying, God's not good. He's holding out on you. God's being selfish. 
He just doesn't want you to be like him. He's a cosmic killjoy. And Eve started seeing the forbidden tree as good for food, but she stopped seeing God as good and trustworthy. And she took the fruit. She was lured and enticed. Sin was conceived and death came into the world. Hold the goodness of God. Remind yourself in temptation, God is good and I can trust him. But also remind yourself, hold to this, God does not change. God doesn't change. He says, these good gifts come down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The term Father of lights reminds us that he is the creator God who, who hung the stars, the sun, and the moon. And However, with God, there is no variation or shadow due to change. James' point is simple. God does not change. He is good and he's always good. He never changes. And when you're in a trial and you don't understand what's going on and then all of a sudden temptation comes knocking at your door, you need to remember that God has not moved, that he has not changed. He didn't stop being good. His character is impeccable. He, it never degrades. It never erodes. He is changeless. And this is critical to remember that God doesn't change because many times trials and temptations come in seasons of change. They do. Many times seasons of change, that's when temptation comes knocking at the door. Your income, your health, a relationship, your career. Something changes in these things and maybe in a way that you perceive as a negative way and temptation begins to come into the picture. But God hasn't changed. His character hasn't changed. His goodness hasn't changed. And by the way, his word hasn't changed. What God has said is wrong, still wrong. What God has said is right, still right. God doesn't change. God's truth doesn't change. God's goodness doesn't change. Listen, let us remember that just because we change, just because our feelings change, just because our circumstances change, does not mean our God changes. Our character may drift. God's character does not. You can count on God. God is good. God does not change. Number three, I belong to God and he is for me. If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, this is true, that you belong to God, that in Christ you belong to him, and he's for you. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Verse 18, of his own will, God's will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The word of truth here, if you were, we don't have the time, but if you were to trace that throughout the New Testament, you'd see that it's, it's a phrase that, that means the gospel. It's used in other places to talk about the gospel. So the word of truth is the gospel. It's the message of Jesus, the good news of his life, death, and resurrection. And James reminds us that God, by his own choice, chose to cause us to be born again, brought forth by the power of the gospel. We heard the gospel. We believed the gospel. We, were, we became children of God. God chose to save us. God has saved us, and he did so, he says, so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, meaning that early believers were just the beginning, and today he's still saving, right? And he doesn't want the, sal the, the salvation and the gospel spread to stop with you either. He wants it to spread through you. He's, and ultimately, this salvation we're experiencing in this life is just a foretaste. There's a, there's a fullness to come in a new heaven and a new earth when we'll have glorified bodies and when, our, when, 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 when ultimately there's a, a finality and, and we're glorified and, and made to be like Christ. That day's coming. We're just experiencing the first fruits, and we are simply the first fruits. So be reminded today, the good news of the gospel, that God gives us a new nature when we believe the word of truth, the gospel. He transforms our hearts, and he puts his Holy Spirit within us, the Bible tells us, and so that we can overcome temptation, so that we can walk in his truth. So believer, let this remind you that God is for you. 
So I don't know God's for me. He saved you. He called you forth. He brought you forth through the word of truth. God chose you. He brought you forth. He's not going to leave you. Man, you're his. You belong to him. And your identity is not in your sin. It's not in your temptation. Your identity is in Christ. Romans 8.32, the apostle Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Let what God has done for you and in you through Jesus remind you that God will give you all you need, that he is a good God and he's working for your good. He's working for your good. God is so for you that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world, came and he was tempted and yet was without sin so that he could then go to the cross and on the cross experience the, the, the suffering and death that you and I deserve, bear the wrath of God for us, and then be risen again from the dead so that you and I can be saved, so it can be, we can be rescued from sin, death, and hell. And now we can have the victorious one, the Lord Jesus Christ, the victorious one, the ultimate victor over temptation and sin and death, empowering us to live the victorious Christian life. That's how much God is for you. That's what God has done to make you his. And the great gift that has come to us from God is that he has sent Jesus and that Jesus saves us. And when you're tempted, you need to look to and you need to lean on the Lord Jesus Christ and remember that God is good, God doesn't change, and in Christ, you belong to him and he's for you. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Uh, we have a Savior who came and was tempted and was victorious so that he can identify with us and so that he can help us, so that he can be our Savior but also our high, and our high priest, but also so he can empower us to live in victory. Let me ask you today, if you're, if you're not a believer in Christ, do you understand that ultimately victory in temptation and the struggles with sin that you're having, ultimately that begins with meeting Jesus in a saving way? Maybe today you're watching and, and you've been tempted and you've failed time and time again just like the rest of us, just like me. And maybe you've experienced the brokenness that sin can bring into your life, the pain that it can bring. And just you, need to, you just need to know that the brokenness and the pain and the suffering that we experience because of our sin in this life is only a foretaste of the ultimate suffering that is to come if we reject Christ and we have to spend eternity apart from his presence. But if we meet the Savior, if we turn away from our sin and we put our faith and trust in Christ to save us and receive him as Lord and as Savior, everything changes. We become new people. And, and, and he enables us to overcome temptation if we'll trust him and if we'll obey him. See, he was tempted and he didn't fail so that now he can save you. And then he can empower you to walk in victory. Let me ask you, will you trust him? Victory over temptation begins with trusting Jesus for salvation. So if you're a believer today, take these truths and apply them to your heart, to your life, and walk in them when you face temptation. If you don't know Christ today, we want to encourage you to trust Christ. He loves you. He wants to save you. And if, if you'd call on him to save you, put your faith and trust in him and his death, burial, and resurrection, if you'll look to him in saving faith, turning from your sin, he'll save you right now. And if you, if you do that, if you've got questions about that, email us at info at gonorthpark.com. Let's talk. Let us celebrate with you or let us answer questions. We want to help. And believer, 
See God today. If, if there's a sin in your life that you're toying with, kill it because it wants to kill you. And if there's a temptation that you're beginning to face, let's look to God today. Let's begin to trust God and apply these principles from James so that we can, so that we can walk away, so we can overcome temptation and walk in victory. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the victory that can be ours through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the good news of the gospel, that Christ came and he, and he was tempted yet was without sin and he died for us and rose again. And through him, we can be saved from our sins. And through him, we can experience victory in temptation. Help us to trust him. Help us to cling to him. If there's anyone watching today that's never trusted Christ, I pray that they would do so now, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself and that they would turn away from their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray for every believer today watching and listening that today, Lord, that we would choose to walk with you, to obey you, that we would choose to be overcomers in our temptation, that we would choose to trust you and not turn away from you, to believe that you're good, to believe that you do not change, to realize and understand that we belong to you in Christ and that you're for us and that we'd say no to temptation and say yes to following Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen.